Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your heart blameless and holy before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus for all his saints. May these give us confidence in gospel hope. Good morning, church. Welcome to all of you gathered online with us this morning. Good morning, Myerstown campus. Love you. Miss you. Can't wait to see you in just a few weeks for our annual ministry celebration happening here on our Lancaster campus. And indeed, if you haven't heard, it's going to be outside because we do not have enough seats in this room to fit everybody, social distance or not. And so that's by the grace of the Lord. And we can't wait to look back at all the Lord has done and all the Lord is planning has in store and planned for us to do as we seek the days, the months, the years ahead. Church, you fired up for God's word? Say yes. yes. Come on. Grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, and today we launch into chapter 2. Heavy text today. Heavy text every week. Especially heavy text today. So if you would, pray with me once more. Father, we pray today for your Holy Spirit to do what you've promised. Illuminate the text. Bring it to light. Give us the power of understanding, not because we are wise in our own eyes, Lord God, but because you, you are gracious to reveal things to us. Father, we thank you that you've recorded these things in your word, that we would have knowledge of things to come. Father, we thank you that you haven't let us, let us to wonder and wander about. And so God, reveal, convict, anchor us today. In your truths, I would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, confidence, that's what we're after. The tagline of this series, if you haven't noticed, is this, confidence in gospel hope. Say hope. Hope. Hope is what we're after. There's a lot of definitions regarding hope in our day-to-day. The world, I'm sure you know the definitions regarding the way the world would define hope. It's a feeling. It's a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. We hope, we hope, we hope it will happen. God's word reveals something more like this. Hope is actually objective. It's grounds by which. Hope is grounds for which we believe that something good will indeed happen as God has promised. It's tangible. It's objective. We can can grasp it. It's not merely a feeling. Our feeling is based on something concrete and what we regard as sure. But you see, friends, regarding this hope as it's defined by the world, a feeling of expectation, a desire for certain things to happen, it turns out that hope, 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 hope is a lucrative industry in our world today. For what is hope but a feeling and a desire for certain things to occur into, in the future? And so simply put, what people are very interested in today is they want to know what's going to happen in the future. turns out people will pay big money to be told what's going to happen in the future. According to market research reports, psychic service industry is a $2.2 billion annual industry. 
It turns out that things like pandemics and climactic world events have a way of driving this industry into even greater growth. It turns out in the year 2020, moving into the year 2021, it's predicted that it's going to see five times its annual average of growth this next year. What's the point? People want to know the future. What's the point? Trial, difficulty, loneliness, despair, cause us all the more to want to grasp for, cling to, search after, pay for hope. Hence the reason why, among psychic services, the industry is booming. You see in front of you, article after article after article. I hold one in my hands right now. Fortune-telling business becoming booming, fortune-telling business booming during the pandemic. People want to have some hope. This was a CBS News affiliate in Texas. Many businesses have been closed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but fortune-tellers appear to be doing quite well. So why are more and more people turning to psychics during this health crisis? In a world of uncertainties, people are looking for predictability. With the COVID and everything, I was stuck in a bubble, McKinney resident uh, Pramila Patel said. She finds that the predictability, she finds that kind of predictability at Soultopia. And she's not the only one who is looking for assurance. The New York Times recently highlighted increased online traffic for horoscope and psychic consultations. Astrologers and tarot card readers have also reported an increased demand in their services. Since the pandemic, it's, it's just been an explosive amount of people coming into our stores and also through Zoom and online and also on the phone, Michelle Welch, the owner, said. Welch said her business has grown over 70% since the beginning of the pandemic. It's a broad, broad variety of reasons, but it starts primarily with uncertainty, but also the fact that people are at home a lot. So that creates some issues, you know? When we're at home and we're with our family a lot, Welch said, and then the uncertainty with jobs and then people that are just maybe unfortunately going over into that despair zone. Welch said she's seeing more young people come in for her readings and that they are also attracted to products like incense, crystals, and stones, which they believe will cleanse their space and ward off negativity. She said, we sold a pallet of sage just in the last two weeks alone. And so that and the crystals and, and all of these things, they, they're there to make us feel like to get rid of this negativity is all around us. Patel told CBS 11 News, she's had to readjust her life due to the pandemic. I feel that people want to have some hope. It's like being forewarned, you know? You know something is happening and it helps you to prepare for it. The news article concludes with this, with a future filled with uncertainties. Both Patel and Welch say people are simply looking for comfort, company, and spiritual connection that they can't find anywhere else. Just looking for hope. Just looking for spiritual connection. 
They're still going to speak with somebody regarding the future. They just, they just want to know. They just want to have an answer. Church, just think about that last sentence. They're just trying to find that which they can't find anywhere else. What I want us to pause and realize is this, church. While many Christians are fearful that the world is going to think what you believe is crazy and think that you're out off in the left field, Pew Research tells us that six out of ten Americans hold to some form of New Age philosophy, including forms of psychic practice from horoscope reading to palm reading. Why? They just want to know the future. Have you ever wanted to know the future? Have you ever been held captive by what you don't know yet? Have you ever been so concerned that you've lost sleep over it at night? Have you ever become so anxious about your future that you become physically ill? Has uncertainty ever taken you to dark places of despair? Friends, if you've ever experienced this, then you can empathize with those who don't have hope and why they would seek it wherever it can be offered. That they would go looking for those who are bold enough to say that they actually have it. Listen, it's not difficult to see why those who lack hope will stop, listen, and even pay to hear a confident voice speak to them about their future, even if it's not true, even if there's no substance attached to it. Friends, listen, hear me this morning. If you've ever engaged in such practices, my intent this morning is not, is not, is not to make light of your struggle or to pile on guilt. But make no mistake, what I do want to offer you and to all of us is a hope for the future that is sure. A hope for the future that is objectively sound. Today, I desire for all of us to leave here confidently believing that God has given you and has instructed you upon everything that you need to know about your future, and it's found right here. While people were searching and subjecting themselves to divination, spiritual darkness, and manipulative illusions, hear me, manipulative illusions, God has given us a divine word that is packed with objectivity. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 says this, and we have a prophetic word that is more fully confirmed. God told of the future in the past, and it's come. He's told of the future, and there's things that are yet to come, but they're all found for us right here. We have a prophetic word that has been more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts until Jesus returns knowing that, first of all, that no prophecy of this book comes by someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy has ever No prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so come on. You want to know the future? Say yes. 
You want to know what God's word tells us about the future? Say, let's go. You want to see what God has for us? Come on. Say, show me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Thus saith the Lord regarding your future, regarding the future of the world. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in your mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Paul goes on, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what it is restraining him. You know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time to come. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains it will do so until, it, until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. Love that. And bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. They will perish because they refuse to love the truth and so not be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so friends, here we go. What a text. What a portion of God's word. Why was it written to us? Why is it here? Because God desires for us to have confidence. He wants us to have confidence as we look and as we see and as, reveal, as he reveals his future. See, you see, today we gain confidence in gospel culmination. But we are headed to an end. All things are going to have a climactic conclusion. Everything is going to culminate. And he desires for his church to be knowledgeable of these things so that we would not be shaken or stirred or moved off our mark in any way in these uncertain days. And so for us to be confident in gospel culmination, it requires three things. You see it in the text, and the first is this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ must be anchored in core doctrine. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ must be anchored in core doctrine. If you're new to Mission Church, if you're new to things of faith and spirituality and Christianity, doctrine is merely the core teachings that we hold to. The Apostle Paul doesn't hold back. He goes right into the depths of these things. And he says this, Now concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him. All right, come on, pop quiz. This is a multiple choice pop quiz, so don't get nervous. Choice A. Choice A is in verse 1. Concerning 
the coming of the Lord and us being gathered together with the Lord is Paul, A, reviewing things that he's already spoken of while with them and in, his current, in the previous letter. That's choice A. Or choice B, is this brand new content that he did not cover in his first letter, all right? Choice A, is he reviewing content that he's already covered, or B, brand new content that he did not cover in his first letter? A review or new? A or B? Ready, 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 ready? Are you ready? Here it comes. Pop quiz, pop quiz. Everybody say A. A, 100% participation, 100% correct answer. The Apostle Paul is now reviewing. He's, look, look, now, concerning the coming of the Lord, concerning us being gathered together with Jesus. Does this sound familiar? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As a collective body, this is what we, we were celebrating this passage on Easter Sunday. Remember, because of the resurrection, we can look forward to another resurrection. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Come on. We will always be with the Lord. And so now verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Are you encouraged that you're going to be with the Lord? Are you encouraged that God's going to rapture you out of here? We're supposed to encourage each other. Would you clap your hands and encourage each other that God, that Jesus is going to come, that he's going to rapture his church? Now, why? Now, why is this encouraging? Why is this encouraging? Everything about the end times, as it pertains to the church, we are commanded to see it as a means of encouragement. Why? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, in regards to the day of the Lord and the day of judgment that is to come, God says this, he has not destined us for wrath. A lot of theology is built on that verse. We can find encouragement regarding the end because he tells us this concerning the day of the Lord that we are not destined for wrath. Rather, the church will obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, listen, listen, now concerning these things we've already talked about, I've got to come back and review these things because the situation has changed what's happened. Look at verse 2. This is what's happened. Again, having already taught these things, having already assured them that the rapture of the church was going to occur, that we would be spared from the wrath to come, what's happened? Well, he goes on in this command and says, Look, we're asking you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken. Don't be shaken in your minds. Don't become alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or seeming, a seeming letter that happens to, that people say came from us to the effect of what? To the effect of what? That the day of the Lord has come. What's happened here? Verse 2 says this. Don't be alarmed. Don't be shaken by a spirit. A spirit here would be alluding to that which would come and give a prophetic, a prophetic utterance or a prophet who would come, a false prophet who would come and say otherwise. A spoken word would be false teaching or a sermon or 
some kind of other propositional thought that would lead you astray, or a letter from us, some kind of false scripture in some ways. And he's saying, look, don't be led astray by any of it. Verse 3, he goes on to say this, let no one deceive you in any way. Why did Paul have to say that? Because they'd become deceived. He'd already taught these things. It had already been settled. But you see, in the first letter, Paul was addressing what? Remember the first letter, what was Paul addressing? They were curious. Paul, you're telling us the Lord is going to come back. You're telling he's going to establish his kingdom. They were so anticipating the return of Jesus that they thought it was going to happen in their lifetime. And so they said, Paul, what about those who have died? And Paul's like, oh my word, I'm so glad you asked. As in regards to those who have died, know this, Jesus is going to return. We're going to meet him in the air and the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we will be with him for we will be spared from the wrath to come. That's letter one. Now letter two, apparently having that settled, somebody's come along and they're like, yo, about this whole rapture thing, one of two false teachings must have crept in. It's like this. Paul's a little whoop whoop about that. Like, like seriously, like really? That's option one. Or option two would be what? You missed it. Y'all have missed it. And all the afflictions and all the heartache and all the things that are happening are actually evidence that this either isn't going to happen or you've missed it. And now you find yourselves in the day of the Lord. Bottom line is they're all kinds of confused. You ever been all kinds of confused about theology? What does Paul do? Love this. Look at verse 5. So kindly, so gently, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you all about these things? Guys, guys, like we've had this conversation before. Like we've had this teaching before. You guys have sat through this before. Don't you remember? And what I love here is that Paul does not belittle them for being confused. For we've all had our moments of confusion as it pertains to theology, particularly end times. Amen? He doesn't chastise them for not grasping his teaching. He doesn't make fun of them either. He doesn't make fun of them for having a desire to know about these things. How many jokes have we heard in church about those who hold certain positions about the end times? Stop the joking. Paul's regarding this as serious business. He doesn't avoid the topic either in fear that it could lead to some kind of disunity in the church. He hits it head on. He hits it head on. He reveals how he has already taught this church full of new believers, mind you, full of new believers. They have already received a thorough eschatology, which means doctrine and teaching regarding end things. Come on, church, you catch it? The church is obligated to have a position on the end times. The church is mandated to have a position 
on the end times. The church is obligated to humbly, 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 say humbly, hum, no, 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 say humbly, humbly embrace a position on the end times. Why? So we can be established in the teachings. Why? So that we can be equipped to thwart off nonsense. We need to have positions on the end times so that you can be equipped to thwart off the nonsense that is coming at your way. For if you think that there was only false teaching in the first century regarding these things, we are deeply deceived even in that thought. Too many churches are ignoring eschatology saying it's too confusing and it's complicated and people aren't interested and they will check out. You check it out? But here we see the Apostle Paul discipling again brand new believers. He was here maybe three weeks to three months. He's not only establishing them in the doctrines of grace and salvation, but doctrines of hope regarding the future because he knew the only, what was going to provide them strength about the pre, to get through the present was hope of things that were yet to come. For yes, you were saved unto salvation. To what end? That's the end. How do we get from here to there? What are we supposed to do in the meantime? Our salvation propels us and end times draws us unto the glory of God in between. And so Peter says this, I will, I will make every effort, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, I will make every effort so that you, after my departure, that you may be able at any time to recall these things. I will do anything to get you to learn this. I believe that God desires for every Christian, I believe that God desires for every Christian to have conviction regarding the core elements, the core elements, the core elements of the end times. And as your pastor, I would be so thrilled and encouraged the same way that many of you can draw the kind of plan of salvation on the first side of the napkin, if you could turn the napkin over and be able to draw out a high-level timeline of events that are yet to come. And some of you were like, ruh-roh. I was thinking about calling up a volunteer, and I had a napkin, actually, here that, kidding. Let relief flood over your soul. You can do this! You can do this. How do I know that you can do this? Well, because when I was 20 years old, I was challenged to do this. And so here is a chart that, I, that my 20-ish year old self drew. Come on, mind you, this is 22-some years ago. Now, your chart may not have the artistic brilliance of this one. I assure you, your rulers were used. Your chart and your timeline may not have all of the details here. I'm not asking you to draw big horns, little horns, white horses, and all of the details that come. That can come in the future. But my 20-year-old self wrote this paragraph. I believe in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe, though no one knows when, that he will rapture his church into the clouds to meet him prior to 
to the seven years of punishing tribulation that will take place on the earth. Following the tribulation, the reign of the Antichrist, Satan and his demons will then be cast into the bottomless pit and Christ will return to the earth and rule the millennial kingdom for 1,000 years. When the great peaceful thousand years has ended, Satan and his demons will be released from the pit. They will try one last time to overthrow Jesus Christ, the Son of God, but they will fail and they will face eternal judgment at the great white throne and be sentenced to eternity in the lake of fire. Unbelieving people there will also receive their eternal sentence before the same throne. And when all of this has been accomplished, Christ, the glorious King, will take his place as the returnal reigning king over all of his creation the way it was intended to be from the very beginning. And through it all, I believe that Christ will have persevered his church. He will preserve his church and we too will rule victoriously in the eternal kingdom with him forever and ever and ever. Amen. Friends, let these truths wash over your soul. And as I look over this drawing, are there nuances and details and things that I may adjust? Yes, but the big picture remains branded in my soul. And so, moving on from this drawing, I want to encourage you to draw your own. Because at a high level, Paul continually points out over and over and over again the high-level things that you ought to be able to identify. Number one, we are the church today. And as the church today, nothing else needs to happen from our view. I'm giving you our church's position, what we teach on these things. Nothing needs to happen for God's church to be raptured and to be met with him in the air. We believe at this rapturing that a seven-year tribulation will fall upon the earth. At the end of this seven-year time, we'll then usher in the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And at this time, he will commence, he will initiate the millennial kingdom where the promises entrusted unto Israel will all be fulfilled. At the end of this thousand years of peace, as Satan is bound in the pit, at the end of that time, he will be released. There will be a final battle. There will be a final judgment. He will be cast into the eternal lake of fire. And before the great white throne, all who have unbelieving will receive their final sentence before the Lord. And then from there, Christ will then reign over his eternal kingdom forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Friends, the end times does not need to be complicated. There are so many details that fall into this timeline. There are so many other things. Uh, the book of Daniel and Old Testament prophecy. And yes, the book of Revelation. Oh, Lord God, get us there. Let us study it. Or better yet, come back so we can experience it for ourselves. Either way, church, God is calling you to have a position. Hear me. If your timeline does not look exactly like mine, we can still be friends. We can still pursue the mission of God. We can still see that souls are saved. We all understand and we can all agree that Jesus Christ is coming back. That Jesus Christ is going to reign. He's going to rule. There is going to be eternal judgment though. And what are we supposed to do in between? 
live loved and sent to the glory of God. Come on, church. There doesn't have to be controversy regarding the end. There are matters within this that Christians can respectfully disagree, but to ignore is to be negligent. To ignore is to be negligent to the scriptures and to the divine call of ministry that the Lord has entrusted to the church. You know what's more divisive than teaching on end times? Not teaching on end times. You know what's more divisive than teaching on end times? Not teaching on end times. You know what's more divisive? Not teaching on end times and allowing crazy conspiracy theories to flood the church. I've watched Christian after Christian after Christian this past year be duped into conspiracy theories because they don't understand the end. Hypothesizing on America's role in the end, trying to square up with current events so we can set dates on where, how it's all going to go down. Buying into prophecies that can't be found in Scripture. Stop trying to read the tea leaves in the news in regards to the future. Stop! Everything you need to know about the end. I promise you this, Romans 12, we are one day closer. We are closer than when we first believed. I give you exhibit A, slip under the church door this week. Friends, did you know that the coronavirus is warning the church, the Gentile church, that the rapture is about to happen? You woke up this morning. That's evidence the rapture is coming. Call me a prophet. You're one day closer. I promise you, by the end of this sermon, you'll be two hours closer. Oh, you don't know. We can go on and on and on. Friends, now this. In difficult times, let me lovingly express this. In difficult times, it gives rise to unfounded conspiracy. Let me give you a formula of sorts. When your truth doesn't explain your current experience, when your current truth doesn't explain your current experience, you are very, it, it causes us to become very tempted to invent new truths to make it all make sense. Where you have a gap in your understanding. I believe this, but I'm experiencing this. The Thessalonians. Paul said that the day of the Lord is yet to come. He said we we're going to be raptured out of here, but what happened? What happened? Well, my experience is saying I'm in trial. My experience is saying this is difficult. My experience is saying I'm in persecution. My experience is saying what? It's got to be something else. It's got to be the day of the Lord. Enter falseness. Why? Because what they believed wasn't matching their experience, which caused them to create a new reality for themselves. And some of you are burying the pain of what that does in your relationships.
And so the Apostle Paul comes with great love to this church. He just lovingly shepherds them. And he seeks to anchor them, not with anger, but certainly with passion and conviction back to what they already knew to be true. You have not missed the resurrection. Settle your hearts. You are not in the tribulation. The day of the Lord has not yet come. But what about the, I, I know. But did you see the Middle East? I saw the Middle East. Are these things moving us closer? Every event is moving us closer. Every event is moving us closer. God's providence Every event is moving us closer. We've already said the rapture could happen now. That's what we believe. And so what Paul does next is that having kind of laid this blanket statement over, he now goes into detail so that they can be assured that what they're currently experiencing is not the tribulation, is not the day in the Lord. And so in this timeline that we've laid before us, the events that Paul is about to address are events that are taking place in that seven years leading up to the day of the Lord before Christ's return. You see it? And so here we go, point two. Confidence for the future comes to us as we're apprised of the coming distress as we're apprised of the coming distress. Look, we're, we're anchored now in the core doctrines. We get it. But now let us, now, now Paul zeroes in because he wants to make sure, he wants to prove to them in detail so that they can compare and contrast and have greater confidence in their current situation. And so Paul says this, verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way. For the day will not come. The day of the Lord will not come unless three things happen. Unless the rebellion comes first. Unless the, law, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God, the object of worship. And number three, until the restrainer comes, verse six, you know what is restraining him now that he may be revealed in the times to come. Verse seven, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work for he who now restrains him will one day allow the restraining to be released. And so while these things may be obscure to us, the audience in Thessalonica recalls exactly what Paul is talking about. The day of the Lord won't happen. The day of the Lord, Jesus' return, won't happen until the church is raptured. And then number two, until the great rebellion comes first, he says. The great rebellion. This is pointing to a great rebellion against God. We would regard it, it seems many scholars would point to this kind of a global rebellion. There's many theories about what this rebellion will look like, but likely it's a global rebellion against the Lord. Think Babel-like. Think Noahic. This great rebellion will no doubt be led by, keep reading, this man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, the text says. This one who opposes and exalts himself over every God, lowercase g there in the text. 
And so he takes his seat. He will take his seat in the temple of God. We would regard that as the very temple in Jerusalem. Daniel chapter 11 for your reading time tonight. What will he do? He will proclaim himself to be God. Thus, thus, thus identifying himself as the true Antichrist. This being that climactic moment that Jesus spoke of in the Olivet Discourse, the great desolation, the abomination of desolation, see in your reading Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, and yes, indeed, Daniel chapter 9. And now hear me, while we have no idea who this will be, while we have no idea who this will be, while we have no idea, do we have any idea who this will be? Say no, no. Do we have any idea when this will come? Say no, no. While we have no idea who this will be, we know this, he will oppose God and operate on Satan's behalf. Look at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. To what end? With all wickedness and deception for those who are perishing. They will follow after him. Because God has taken away those who have believed in him, those who have not will be here and be susceptible uh, to all of the deception in the end, perishing because they refuse to love the truth. One commentary pointed this out regarding the Antichrist, regarding the lawless one. He will be the great opposing counterfeit. Think of it. God established the law. He is the lawless one. God stands for and has brought about all of creation, and he is regarded as what? The son of destruction. God demands worship, and he will desecrate the house of worship, claiming to be God himself. God declares truth. God is all truth. He peddles unrighteous deception, so those around him will be deceived. Jesus was revealed from heaven and he will be revealed from earth. Jesus will come for his church and he will come under Satan's power to deceive all of mankind. And while we do not know, and while he may or he may not be present today, And while we, will, we believe we will not be present during his rule, we do well to consider 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. Hear this. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is the wor- in the world already. And so, friends, while... While he, the Antichrist, may or may not be alive today, the spirit and the sentiment of the Antichrist is alive and well. Look at verse 6. And we know this. We know what is restraining him. What is restraining him? Raise your hand if you're 100% like, like I'm a new believer, Thessalonican church. Like Paul's like, yo, You all know exactly who's restraining the spirit of the Antichrist right now. Come on, raise your hand if you know exactly who's restraining the Antichrist right now. Right? We're a little behind on our instruction. 
for this church of brand new believers, wouldn't you just love to have heard that sermon that Paul gave like when he was on the scene in Thessalonica? Oh my word, what would you do? And you know, you know, church, you know, new believers, what is restraining him so that he may be revealed in his time? Look, you know the misery of lawlessness is already at work, spiritually speaking, and you know he who now restrains him. And I'm telling you, scholars have gone back and forth about what and who is restraining the Antichrist. Trust me. But what do we know? This text says, you know what is restraining him, and you know who is restraining him. You know what is restraining him, and you know who is restraining him. When I struggle in great detail, when I struggle with the details, I like to zoom out to the whole. When I'm struggling to understand the part, it is very helpful to zoom out to what you absolutely know objectively, soundly, and surely. What do we know for sure? God is sovereign. What do we know for sure? God is in control. What do we know for sure? He is the great restrainer of all evil. And so as I look at this text, I humbly submit to you that God indeed is the great restrainer, that the Holy Spirit of God is indeed, we can take confidence today, he is the one who is holding back the spirit of the Antichrist and, and the rebellion of sin as a whole. For if it were not for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this world, where would we be? We know for sure the simplest and the most straightforward explanation is God himself, for he is the final and ultimate restrainer. Holy Spirit of God indeed holds back the spirit of the Antichrist in our day and, and, and the effects of sin. And so what is Paul saying here? What he's saying here, he's also, I believe, saying to us, as difficult as these days may be, as confusing as the days we're living in might be, make no mistake, the trials, the afflictions that we face, the sin, the debauchery that we witness around us, friends, know this, it's restrained. This is the restrained version of lawlessness. This is the restrained version of sin. This is the restrained version of trial. And so Paul goes into this kind of detail so they would know for sure. Now compare your afflictions to what I've just described. You see? We're not in the day of the Lord. You see, we're not destined for wrath. Yes, we're not going to minimize what you're going through. No way. Christian, confidence, assurance. God's got you. He's preserving his church. The Holy Spirit of God resides here. The restrainer has not abandoned us. He's watching over us. He's moving us. He's building us. He's strengthening us. He's equipping us. He's mobilizing us. He's using us. This, my friends, this, 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 
this. And so Paul is saying these final events are completely in the hands of the Lord. If you don't agree with our timeline, just know this. God is in control. Jesus is coming back. He is going to win, and we all are going to reign with him in the end. And when he comes back, point three is this. We will be assured of the power and the dominion and the authority and the rule of Jesus Christ. There will be no mistake who's in charge when it all goes down. Look at verse 8. And then, and then, I love this, and then the lawless one who will be revealed as quickly as he comes on the scene. Look, look, look. And then the lawless one will be revealed. What one? The lawless one whom the Lord Jesus Christ will kill with the breath of his mouth. I just like to say that louder. Well, that guy came in with a bang. (sighs) (laughs) Guys, where's your confidence? You get tossed around by all this nonsense going on right now? You're going to fight over secondary and tertiary happenstance of the world today? This is what makes the church strong. Confidence in the end. Confidence in the end. It's going to be revealed as quickly as it's revealed. He's going to be wiped out. He's going to be wiped out. By the breath of Jesus' mouth, he will bring him to nothing. Bring him to nothing by his very appearance. Friends, the primary thing we need to know about the future is found in verse 8. God wins, God wins, God wins. God fulfills his purpose. God defeats the adversary and he wins. But also, he wins by way of righteousness, which also means final justice and judgment has to be enacted as well. And so the text goes on to say this. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, verse 9, with all the power and false wonders, verse 10. And with all of his wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, already being under delusion, God sends them a strong delusion, for they've made their choice, so that they may, they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned, who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And this is where we feel a tension in our soul. And this is where we feel a tension in our soul. And this ought to be where you feel a tension in your soul. For be encouraged, church, you're not destined to the wrath to come. But we all know people who will experience the wrath to come. And this, my friends, is why we're here. 
This, my friends, is the mission of God. That we would bring glory. That we would bring glory. That we would bring glory and that we resound and we would adorn gospel glory upon this earth. That people would see, that they would see the distinction. They would experience the distinction. That they would see the difference. That the adorning glory of Christ would resound and emanate from your being, from our presence, from our gathering. That the good works as we adorn the gospel across the face of the earth would be noticed that there will be those whom the Lord is wooing unto himself that we would be active in the mission of God knowing that there will be a day where it is too late. That the day is coming when you will have the choice to have no choice. Church, you have to understand the end to understand how significant this moment is. You have to understand where this is going if you're really going to pick up your purpose before God. For indeed, Jesus Christ did bear a cross on our behalf that we might be spared from the wrath that is to come, but this is why he calls us now to pick up our cross and bear it so that others will not have to miss out on the wrath which he bore already. Do you see it? God is appealing to us that we would be his ambassadors, that we would be his ambassadors, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we would cry out on his behalf as if God was making his appeal through us, be reconciled to God. Please find peace with God. That is your charge. That is our mission, that we would preach and live the gospel of Christ. that we would present the choice before those we love have no choice to receive the gospel of Jesus. To be loved is to be sent. To be loved is to be sent. To be redeemed is to be one who adorns the glory of Christ in every word, thought, action. At least that's our pursuit. To be redeemed is to pray fervently. To be redeemed is to embrace biblical doctrines and preaching boldly. To be redeemed and to be called is to worship passionately, is to be discipled intently. It's to evangelize courageously and it is to multiply the church of the Lord Jesus Christ strategically throughout the world. This is our charge that we would make this appeal before the appeal is no more. Confidence. Today I want you to leave here confident, confident that God has the future. I desire for you to leave here confidently knowing that God has you. And I want you to leave here confidently believing that God will use you to share the gospel and to adorn the truth that others would be with you as well. Already not yet, God is building his kingdom through the church. 
already not yet, God has called you into his presence and he's given you a purpose that you may be able to live on mission. For the day is coming when the king will arrive in person and we shall gather around his throne. And so, Father, we come to you and we worship you and we wait for you. Oh, but Lord God, what is this waiting? Is it not a longing? Is it not a worship-filled anticipation? Is it not an adornment? Is this waiting not an act of worship, Lord God, that we're not just standing idly by, staring off into the clouds, but we desire to be used by you as we experience the love that you've shed over us, Lord God? Would you send us from this place useful, For your purposes, we pray. God, there are those in this room who need your confidence today. They need your Holy Spirit's presence in their life for they have not trusted you as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, there are those in this room who would not know, who do not know what eternity they face. And so, friend, even now, God, even as we've read in his word, he is asking us to appeal to you to repent of your sins and ask Jesus Christ. Confess your sins to Jesus Christ. Receive his work upon the cross for your behalf. He died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. He now sits in heaven and he will judge the living and the dead. Friend, right where you are, cry out to the Lord and tell him that you long to believe. Tell him that you've confessed, that you know you're a sinner who's worthy of his judgment. But you believe that Jesus Christ took your penalty and died in your place. Tell him you desire to be transformed and to live for him. The scriptures say you're transformed. The scriptures say if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you'll be saved. And so now you become a citizen of the kingdom of God, a family member within the house of the Lord. May he guide you from here. And may you join us in waiting. And so, Lord, move us in this way. That we would look to the sky. But we would also look out ahead that we be mindful of all of those around us who need your saving grace. Give us clarity in these days. Give us confidence in these days, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.